Ellie here. Uh, in this episode, we screwed up. Rather than trying to edit it out or cover it up or whatever, we're going to leave it in and put the explanation to what we screwed up right now. So in this episode, we're going to talk about appropriation. Yep. Uh, so in our episode, we talked about cultural appropriation. And the the terms that we used, the we I feel like we were too dismissive of cultural appropriation and how damaging it can be. And um, we completely messed it up and we want to add some clarification. Thank you to our good friend Latoya Beck, who is extremely knowledgeable in this uh, in this topic um, due to like one of her past professions. She gave she was so kind to um, give us some great resources and we read up on you know, some things that we would like to touch on. Okay, in short, exploitation is always bad. Yes. Always. We. This is the part we fucked up. We said it that it might, that it depends on the context. No, always bad. We screwed up. That is what we screwed up. I'm sorry. Yes. Although, cultural appreciation still is a thing. But when it becomes exploitation, it is never okay. So. Okay. All, All right. right. So, um. Things you might want to Google. Yeah, so uh, something that LaToya said, LaToya Beck, she said that when patterns of borrowing fail to acknowledge their sources and compensate them, they can be categorized as cultural appropriation. This is particularly the case when cultural flows reflect, reinforce, or magnify inequalities. Okay. Um, and... Oh, sorry. Um, so the source for this is The Conversation. It's theconversation.com. You can look that up. The article was published in 2016. It's called Cultural Appropriation, When Borrowing Becomes Exploitation. Um, all right. This part, LaToya said, she said, according to critics of the practice, cultural appropriation differs from acculturation, assimilation, or cultural exchange in that this appropriation is a form of colonialism. Cultural elements are copied from a minority culture by members of a dominant culture, and these elements are used outside of their original cultural context, sometimes even against the expressly stated wishes of members of the originating culture. Next, um, something we'd like to highlight uh, in Jezebel, a much-needed primer on cultural appropriation, published 2012. Uh, here's an excerpt. Uh, you can look it up for the full the full article. Law professor Susan Scafidi, uh, the author of Who Owns Culture, Appropriation and Authenticity in American Law, said even she found it hard to give a succinct and clear definition. Here's what she would go with. Taking intellectual property, traditional knowledge, cultural expressions, or artifacts from someone else's culture without permission. All right, next, um, The Independent uh, published an article this year, 2018. It's called Cultural Appropriation, When Does Appreciation Cross the Line? Um, so here's an excerpt. While some people claim calls of cultural appropriation is political correctness gone too far, for many others, it's very real and very serious. So what is the difference between appreciation and appropriation? When it comes to cultural appreciation, uh, or, sorry, appropriation, when it comes to cultural appropriation, it's not really a black and white issue. 
And according to, doc, uh, to Dr. Royce Mahawate, senior lecturer in cultural studies at Central St. Martins, trying to draw a line is problematic in itself. It creates a victim complex in people who have not accepted that British and American exceptionalism is over and that white supremacy in culture is being robustly challenged, especially in an age of social media, he explained to The Independent. I feel that's a little on the nose. Yeah, it is. Very up to date. Um, yeah, um, so once again, when you hear us talk about appropriation versus appreciation versus exploitation, yeah. that's where we fucked up. You can point at us and say, oh my god, they are so dumb, they fucked up, and we acknowledge that. We do. Uh, we won't make any excuses. And then the last, the last um, point I'd like to touch on, it's uh, Yale Human Rights and Development Jur Journal, Intellectual Property Law and Indigenous People Adapting Copyright Law to the Needs of a Global Community by Megan Carpenter, published in 2014. An excerpt. Indigenous peoples have a variety of reasons for seeking protection of their tra traditional knowledge, including the conservation of traditional knowledge, protection against commercial exploitation, attribute, sorry, oh my God, attribution, and benefit sharing. Their motives may arise from concern over misappropriation, the preservation of biodiversity, promotion of the use of traditional knowledge for development, or external pressures exerted upon the groups. So, again, uh, yeah. So sorry yeah. about sorry about our fucked upness. I hope this gives clarification. Thank you to Latoya um, for this wonderful crash course on cultural appropriation. Yes. So today we learned. Today we learned. On to the episode. On to oh. the episode. Enjoy. On to the episode. Welcome to the Queer Arabs Podcast. This is Alia. And Ellie. And we are the Queer Arabs. Um, I'm half Saudi and a lesbian. Mm, I'm bi, trans, Lebanese, and American, and in love with my girlfriend, Alia. And we have a guest today. Can you introduce yourself? Hi, my name's Aditi. I'm a first generation um, Indian, was born and raised in the Midwest and super excited to be on the Queer Arabs podcast. Yay, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Aditi's visiting from out of town, so we're, we're excited so, to get to talk to her. Uh, tell us a little about your professional background, just so everyone knows. Yeah, so went to a four-year um, liberal arts college in the Midwest. Um, so my hometown is South Bend, Indiana. So if anyone out there that's listening is familiar, it's uh, where University of Notre Dame is. And there's a small school there that's affiliated with them that I went to. And I got a bachelor, uh, bachelor's in business. So I concentrated on marketing. Um, I actually wanted to do... Um, international business after that. So I did like a one year program in London after that. And it, during that time I worked in finance. 
um, to get my um, visa that I needed for studying. I had to have a job and that was one of the ones that I ended up getting. So I worked in finance randomly for a year and then I worked in digital marketing, social media marketing um, from a few different angles, I guess you could say over the course of about just over eight years. I'm just getting ready to transition into to some other stuff right now, which I'm sure we'll talk, get into. Will you yeah. talk about yeah. it? Okay, yeah. cool. <laughs> awesome. Let's start off with the noun game. So, um, Aditi, put, pick just three random nouns, anything. Chili flakes. <laughs> Good one. It can be more than one word, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, chocolate. Uh-huh. Oh, wait, they're all food related already. <laughs> Good. Yoga pants. Ooh. Three, I right? I love it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, this is like a really narrow topic. Oh. <laughs> what is specific. your favorite thing with chili flakes? I carry chili flakes around with me in my purse. I put them on everything, so I guess you could say everything with chili flakes, but I love like a good pasta arrabbiata that already has the chili flakes in it. That's Ooh. like lifeblood, basically. So. Yeah, and life needs more spice at all times. So. For real, I can't be eating bland food. Oh, good. <laughs> Chocolate. What is the last thing you've... You've eaten with chocolate in no, it. No, no, that's too boring. Let's, let's, uh, what is, <laughs> oh most, God. what <laughs> is the most interesting thing you've had in chocolate? Gosh, that's a good one. Probably like, doesn't have to be just food. Yeah. <laughs> chocolate, like, I've had a mask. I've used a mask, face mask with Ooh. raw cacao in it. You just oh. want to like lick it off and eat it. <laughs> There's this other um, cleanser that's kind of like a honey chocolate mud cleanser altogether. That too, Ooh. you just want to eat it. Yeah. Um, you probably technically could because it's all natural, but have fun going to the bathroom after, I guess. <laughs> with, <laughs> oh, with the clay. Oh my God. <laughs> what are your, okay, so I'll take yoga pants. What are your feelings about an Instagram ad that I just saw that said, that was advertising yoga pants, but they called them harem pants and they were like, harem pants for yoga. What are your oh, thoughts gosh. on that? I but thought, yeah. It's good if you want to look like Genie and just like. I saw like on. this somewhat. <laughs> I saw it posted. Yeah. Like someone took a screenshot and was like, harem pants? Really? Yeah. Like, you're calling it harem pants? I can't. For, like, yoga? And, yeah. And then it got even w- weirder. It was, like, showing people with Mendy on their hands. Oh, yeah. So like, that's what, that's the angle that you were, it's, like, the shit that becomes trendy, basically. Yeah, like yeah exactly. Episode 524. Like, yeah. the shit, the that's what came to mind with yoga trendy. pants. Yeah, yeah like, exactly. Because that's a recent thing, I yeah. I came across. So can you talk about like what you're getting started with doing these days? Yeah. So my whole life, I've been really, really interested in skincare, beauty, makeup. Um, I think that I try to think back to the genesis of, of how or why. And I really do feel like it was when I saw my mom like matching her lipstick to her sari, you know, before she was getting ready to go out or whatever. It could even be that simple. And I just remember thinking that it was so fascinating, just all of these beauty and skincare rituals that women have, that the femininity that gets passed on in all cultures even, not even just Indian culture, of course. But I just love that, these rituals that women do. Um, yeah. Super fascinated by that. Um, and then um, love travel, been traveling my whole life. Both my parents were born and raised in Mumbai and in India. Um, almost all my family is still there. So grew up going back to um, visit and spend time with family. Um, and then also um, health stuff is something that I'm super passionate and interested about. Um, my dad passed away when I was about eight years old of a heart attack. So I learned so much about, you know, from a young age um, about that. And that kind of ties into the travel of just life being short, mm-hmm. wanting life to be an adventure. 
and to explore more and things like that. Um, back to the health stuff too. My mom is a breast cancer survivor of 12 years this year. I found out two weeks before I graduated high school. It was just, yeah, so I was always cognizant of sort of health things, I guess. And then my younger sister, she's 27, I'm 30 years young. Um, and my younger sister has Down syndrome as well. So super passionate. Um, I've just overcome my own almost three years of chronic health issues, um, battle of sorts, and super passionate about um, relaunching my blog site, which I can give you the links at the end to share with any listeners who are interested. Definitely. Be relaunching that soon. And it's kind of a, a merging of um, of those three things um, and just talking and writing and sharing because I think especially mm -hmm. for women um, whether you're traveling or not and even if you are you know feeling and looking good from the inside out and also talking about health stuff with which might not be talked about all the time or different things that it's cool to share on or experiences that I've gone through so um, yeah and right now for work like I said I was in marketing for about eight and a half years and towards the end of that I was doing social media, media management um, for people just like freelance or just myself, basically working yeah. directly with clients. I've kind of wanted to get out of that now and really want to focus on writing more and doing more free, freelance writing in all those areas that I just talked about. And I've got um, a couple business ideas of things that I want to start, which will hopefully be coming in the next ah. year or two. So Awesome. Yeah. So like tying health, beauty, and uh, travel yeah. together? Yeah, yeah. That's and really my culture cool. so and yeah, yeah yeah amazing i love it um yeah i think you have a lot a lot to offer you have so much knowledge so in all of those areas your eat pray love yes the minority version of eat pray love <laughs> the minority yes. angle of it i guess you could say the chai <laughs> chai spiced saffron spice yes version. yes all right love it. all right um i'm gonna cover this just because so some of our listeners are like so what's what's with all this uh What's with all this non-Arab stuff going on? And I'm like, okay, so all of us have the long, the large extended families with all the weird bullshit that goes along with it, <laughs> mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. the sort of large family collective that comes along with like non-Western culture. Yep. So, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah, we've had a, we have had a couple people ask and about our angle, and it's just like we love to talk about cultural overlaps. Um, I think. There's so many commonalities um, among different cultures that, like, you know, mm -hmm. if you think about it, so many very like like the foundation of so many cultures are very similar. So um, that, yeah. and I think our main theme turns to be brown people in the West. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. So. Yeah. 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 So um, we were talking about earlier today. We were talking about like how. Indian culture and a lot of Middle Eastern, well, like pretty much every, any Middle Eastern culture is a very communal society yeah. uh, versus the U.S., which is a lot more like Individualistic. Everyone, everyone's very independent, individual. Family um, units are much smaller and less connected. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we were weird. talking about, we were talking about like Aditi was saying, you know, if you're in a car and it's a long drive, no one's talking. You in, know, India. In, India, yeah. in India, it's going on a road trip with extended yeah. fam. <laughs> it's considered rude still to like be on your phone, do your own thing, have your headphones in. Yeah, it's like a fuck you to them. Like, oh, you don't want to talk to us. Like, it's always <laughs> constantly. I mean, it's like a brain overload whenever I would go to visit. Um, just feels like constantly have to be on, I guess you could say constantly mm -hmm. talking to people, doing things in a group, going places together. 
it would drive me nuts. It, <laughs> it is hard I'm, to be an introvert and like I'm Middle Eastern or, Indi- or anxiety just listening. Exa- to that. Exactly. <laughs> like um, being an introvert and being Middle Eastern or being Indian or Pakistani or anyone from a communal, very communal culture is very hard. Yeah, and I, I was talking about this the other day about my parents, um, yeah. about them basically being like two black sheep. Um, and I, I've told, uh, I didn't have a chance to tell my dad, but I tell my mom all the time that it's almost as if you were born in the wrong country in the wrong time almost, because <laughs> just the way her personality is. I love it. My mom is one of uh, nine kids born and raised um, in Mumbai. If anyone out there listening is familiar with Mumbai, it's a Scion neighborhood of Mumbai. Um, and her and all her brothers and sisters and mom and dad grew up in a teeny tiny two bedroom house. She said at night her, you know, they had these mattress pads basically that um, her dad and my uncles would sleep in one room and then my grandma and my aunts would all sleep in another room. And it was just constantly people around all the time. And she was the second youngest child. She was the youngest girl. So constantly it's yeah. like, where are you going? What are you doing? When are you going to be back? What, you know, like just the, wow. the quick fire, like, you know, constantly wondering yeah. what people are doing. And her personality was so not like that, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. And she was only one of two of um, her siblings who immigrated to the U.S. when she married my dad. So she just, she never really wanted to go back. And mm-hmm. I like, she, you know, if you ask her, she says, um, yeah, I'm Indian first and I'm American second. Like, she's an American citizen. She didn't keep her Indian citizenship or anything like that. But, um, yeah, she just feels like this is my home and it's peaceful and it's mm-hmm. quiet and it's, yeah, there's corruption everywhere, but I guess you could say it's less corrupt. She used to be a lawyer in India, so she would tell me about, um, of course, anyone, you know, with Middle East or Asian or Indian um, experience will know that bribes are pretty common and not only common, but I think um, Ellie was talking the other day that almost to be expected with certain things. And, you know, my mom would say that if they had a court case with the judge and even to get the clerk to do their job that they're supposed to do anyway to put a stamp on their paperwork or whatever, you bribe them. You bribe everyone. I've mm-hmm. got three uncles who all had a CPA firm together and they had to bribe the accountants to basically do their work or give them their, you know, whatever paperwork they needed. So I think she just wanted a simpler, she, you know, it was destiny really. I think that she wanted sort of that simpler life where she's just chill and yeah. <laughs> peaceful and yeah, and my dad, um, he left Mumbai at 18. He got into one of the top engineering schools, not only in India, but in the entire world. It's called IIT in Madras, India Institute of Technology. And even at that time, um, you know, this would have been the 70s um, for that time, even for a boy to leave home. You know, it's like if your mom tells you you're staying here, you're staying in this city, you're going to go to school here. And he was an only child. And um, his my dad's dad, my grandpa worked for Indian Tobacco Company. Um, and he was very sort of, I guess, modern, forward thinking, more, he's a businessman too. And my dad even grew up going to all of the India cricket matches because India Tobacco was a sponsor for them and stuff. And my grandpa just said, just go, like, just go, you know, like, don't worry about us. And like I said, my dad didn't have any siblings. So he told his cousin, we just watch out for my parents, spend time with them while I'm gone and stuff. And he left and he never looked back and he uh, traveled around the world after that. He did grad school in Chicago, IIT, um, Illinois, or IIT in Chicago there. He did 
um, some other advanced degrees at University of Michigan, and he yeah. did some work for Boeing, Honeywell, and yeah. yeah so he, I, I really feel like I get that traveler wanderer side from him. Yeah. Um, I have a box that I have always kept of like extra currency from around the world. And I just found that he had a box like yeah. that a couple of years ago too. And yeah, he was a total yeah. black sheep. So two black sheep having me and I'm just like black sheep squared basically. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so um, that parallels a lot of my family's history. Where we have the, the you know, currency box as it were. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. My folks, you know, went to a good school in their area and then migrated and and my folks my grandparents were modern for the time as well. yeah so it's like there's a lot of intersectional commonality here you know there might is. be a thing yeah. mm -hmm. and even my um so my maternal grandparents my mom's parents you know nine kids four girls five boys you know my grandparents were ostracized by a lot of people even in their neighborhood for allowing their daughters to go to school and to study after high school you know high school age like college yeah. and they just didn't give a fuck <laughs> right. you know I guess you could say for that time basically a nice way of saying is like mind your own business but they probably didn't say anything it was more like just the vibe of right. you know and you know my grandparents got married when they were 14 and 15 started having kids and that's just how it was they didn't know English and they said we want all of our kids to be able to go to school it doesn't matter whether they're a boy or a girl it doesn't matter and people would call them crazy like your daughter isn't going to get a husband they're going to be old and all this stuff you know my mom didn't get married until she was 31 for that time people thought well, that's old so she may as well have been a corpse at that point <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. she was basically about to fucking be deceased and cremated <laughs> basically oh, so geez. i have a cousin we won't name her but she's in like her early 40s not married and she just doesn't give a fuck. She's just like, this is my life. My family is telling me I should get married. They're not the ones having to live my life. Yeah, so exactly. I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do. Um, so anyway, and also um, we were talking about earlier how like I have some uncles and aunts and uncles who just get so overwhelmed um, with that communal society that they will take spontaneous solo trips to other countries like Sri Lanka or wherever and not tell anyone until they're there. And then they'll be like, by the way, I'm on vacation and they're there by themselves. So it's just like yeah. the way they can get away from all have of this. Have some like... alone time. Yeah. So it's like I... you have to leave the country to have some alone time. Uh, <laughs> one of my aunts has a similar experience. She married mm -hmm. uh, into our family. Uh, later in life, everyone assumed that, you know, because she was past 35, that uh, she was never going to get married. She was just unmarriageable. They were like, everyone was like super relieved when she got married, even though it was like later in life. Oh, yeah. It's like, oh, now your life is worthwhile. Blah, um, blah, blah. Her background, by the way, is Palestinian. So, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know about the two of you, but I sometimes meditate on the thought of even especially when I would go and visit um, my family in India, you know, more often and such growing up, I used to think what would have happened if I was born and raised in India? Because I feel mm -hmm. like it would have just been like a version of me, not necessarily good or bad, but a different version. I might not have been able to mm -hmm. express myself for all the little nuances that make me me there yeah. as much because I see with my cousins, you know, like I was telling um, you the other day, you know, um, it's strange that my mom was even raised in her family by the same parents because I look at the way some of my aunts and uncles raise their kids and you know, like especially my one of my uncles in particular in Mumbai, you know, he tells his kids, um, you know, my girl cousin, she's like, oh, well, I, I think I want to go into this branch. She's going into law as well. And she, I think I'm going to go into this. He's like, no, do this. And she's like, OK. And then, yeah. you know, he's like, OK, it's time to start looking for 
uh, getting married because they'll do like an arranged marriage. Like both my yeah. parents had an arranged marriage, but it was, I guess you could say, more relaxed when compared to uh, arranged marriages or what people's view of arranged marriages in general, meaning, yeah. you know, they came across my dad. A funny story. I know I'm going off on a, tan a little bit of a tangent here, but my mom's side of the family found out about my dad was that my dad had actually gone back to India. He was in the U.S. at the time, hadn't gone back in forever. He hadn't gone back to India since he left um, after undergrad there. And he went, my dad went back because his dad committed suicide and he went back to, and it's one of those things in the family that no one talks about in detail. Oh, we shouldn't talk about this or, oh, we don't really know because they're uncomfortable. They don't want to talk about it. Right. Um, but anyway, he went back to deal with the arrangements for that and things like that. And he basically mm -hmm was his own matchmaker, I guess you could say. So my dad put a little blurb about himself in the newspaper in Mumbai oh and wrote gosh. while he wrote what, cause I was like, you are such a G. Like, and he just, I he wrote it. basically about his uh, resume, like about oh himself and stuff. That very same day that the yeah. newspaper article came out in the Mumbai newspaper, my uncle was looking through the newspaper because in India they had some award thing, you know, at the end of the school year or what, whatever, yeah. um, for colleges, for like the top best student, you know, of all yeah. the universities or colleges, the top girl and the top boy in their studies, okay. whatever. And he looked and he looked at that page and he was trying to find that um, to find my aunt, my mom's sister. On yeah. the opposite page, he found oh, my dad. Oh my gosh. And he, he originally looked at my dad for my mom's sister. So if that would have happened, clearly I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you. Right, but right. Um, yeah, so um, he saw that and then he said, oh, well, then he found out my dad's age. He's around my mom's age. Okay, so all my uncles went and met my dad for beer and like shot the shit, hung out. It was like, you want to go on a date? And then they showed my mom the photo of my dad and my mom's like, he cute, you know? And then oh. like kept it moving. So it wasn't, okay, I think it's, it's... That's really yeah, sweet. That's, yeah, and it's really interesting because... Yeah. It's such a tricky thing when I think about arranged marriage because, yeah, forcing anyone to do anything, whether it's marriage or otherwise, I don't agree with that. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I think that in a way in the West, we kind of do do our own version of that. It's just matchmaking. It might be through a friend. It might be through whatever. It might be a yeah. different way. And also, I don't feel that I could ever 100% disagree with it because I'm literally a product of that. I'm a product well, of arranged marriage, and you know? I don't so. see a big difference with that and here. Mm -hmm. It's like, hey, you got to meet my friend. Yeah. You know, yeah. it doesn't even sound that different from what goes on over here. Oh, by the way, I know this this woman. She's single. Do you want to meet her? You yeah, know? exactly. Like, we do it kind of in our yeah. own way. So it's interesting when people think it's that it's yeah. so black and white and it doesn't always it's not always that way especially when you get into bigger major cities yeah. like Mumbai where it's more I guess you could say forward thinking whereas there are some areas in India that are smaller towns or villages where yeah the girls still do get married at 14 and 15 yeah. and very you know it's like all of a sudden girl shows up here's your wife exactly or they see somebody oh I like her okay yeah. it's like it's like oh you know yeah so, like send the invitation yeah right. it is yeah and yeah so he went at the time to deal with his dad's arrangement met my mom mm -hmm. and then they were getting to know each other astrology is a very very big thing in um, indian culture so they matched their charts which would have been vedic uh, astrology because there are different branches of astrology mm -hmm. so they match their charts and everything like everything's looking good looks like it's going to be a good future with all the rest of the <laughs> stuff with my dad's resume and you know my mom was educated and, and things right. like that and that was a big thing, yeah big so my my dad yeah. came um to the u.s and my mom came a little after were they like we have to see snow 
Um, I think my mom was like excited, and then after the first week, she's like, "Okay, bye," like <laughs> over it, oh maybe. Oh my gosh. Um, because even to this day, she's like, "Oh, you know." If I, and I'm the opposite. I love the cold. I love the snow. So if I ever, I'm like, "Oh, the snow," and she's just like, "Shut up," you know. Like, <laughs> so. What was it like being um, part of an immigrant family in? that part of the Midwest. Like. Yeah, so what's really interesting is um, my parents, again, they were such black sheep. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't have any other family members um, in our area. So the only, I had mentioned earlier, um, one other sibling of my mom's did immigrate to the U.S. and she was here before my mom came over. Um, yeah. She is based in Philadelphia. We don't really talk to them, which I, for yeah. reasons of, I'm sure we'll get into when we get into family fuckery slash um, shenanigans later but um yeah my parents um was really cool is the town that they moved into where my dad got one of his first um, engineering jobs there were some um, Indians in that area it's Mm -hmm. about an hour and a half outside Chicago there's quite a big Indian community and these um friends that they made were also uh, spoke the same dialect and languages so oh. our family for anyone out there listening uh, speaks Gujarati and Kachi so they spoke so it was really cool they were able to make friends and then through them yeah. they made even more friends and just in life in general I feel that we all sort of make our own family you know it's like mm-hmm. a chosen family which is so cool yeah. and just the nicest I people agree. so um, but yeah I you know growing up elementary school middle school high school college I was the only Indian kid in all of those schools but I guess because I never really looked, I don't know if it's because there weren't a lot of other Indian kids around me, but I guess I never really looked at it, whether it was Indian kids or Indian friends or whatever. Mm -hmm. I was just like, they're just my friend, you know? Like if I was talking to my mom and she was with one of her friends or something and I said, oh, I'm going to go meet my friend. And my mom's friend would ask me, oh, is your friend Indian? And I was like, they're just my friend. (laughs) I didn't get it. Why does it matter? Why does it matter? I just didn't get it. Yeah. But um, (laughs) uh, there was kind of on the other side of town of where I grew up, maybe about 20 minutes away. It's near the University of Notre Dame. There was an even bigger concentration of Indians there. And I grew up going to two different Sunday schools because my mom's Hindu and my dad is actually Baha'i. So I went to two Sunday schools every Sunday. Yeah. And I grew up going to the Baha'i temple out in just outside Chicago, the burbs of Chicago, if anyone knows which one I'm talking about. It's so beautiful gorgeous. there. It's yeah. So and, um, but yeah, and that's another thing about my parents. They didn't feel like, oh, we, one of us needs to convert. We need to just be one religion. Like it doesn't, you know, mm-hmm. we learned about everything. And um, the Sunday school that I went to, the Indian based or Hindu based one, it's actually called Balvakas. So they have it all over um, North America. I'm not sure about Canada, but it's basically um, any city or town's um, India Association, which organizes it. And then people volunteer their house to meet, you know, every Sunday. Yeah. You can meet in my basement, whatever. And you go from the age of eight to 18. And they'll have yeah. um, groups like group one, group two, and group three and they're grouped by age brackets and you learn meditation you learn yoga you learn about hinduism judaism christianity catholicism you go volunteer you do soup kitchens so it's not just hinduism based i guess you could say we did really grow up learning about other cultures and having empathy for other people of other cultures and other backgrounds which i you know i did have my sundays where i was like mom can i just sleep in but now i look back on it of course and and i'm really glad that i had the opportunity to do that so. Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah. I know. It's always when you get older, you mm-hmm. look back and you say, okay, I'm really grateful for yeah. 
that exactly. um, to be honest I could I could have taken a really hard pass on the church I went to yeah so was your family uh, Christian or Catholic or? Uh, my family is what I would call nominally Christian uh-huh. my mom will say she's Christian my father will say they're Christian but you know I don't think my dad sees the inside of a church except for marriages funerals and so forth my mom is definitely you know the Christmas Easter type maybe to go the holiday christian right yes yeah and you know weddings funerals and whatnot you know since my family is lebanese we've got a little of everything we've got Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. one of my aunts is catholic everyone else seems to be sort of there yeah Mm -hmm. non-specific christian i have that same aunt i was talking about who is muslim and she is amazing Mm-hmm. Yeah, has your family had any, like, given that couple any shit because it's an interfaith marriage? Like, no. Actually, everyone thinks it's super cool. Like, nice. I like, love that. Uh, <laughs> Me too. But my mom's, my mom's side of the family is far more modern. They are, yeah, they're you cool. know, they're, they're really just cool. like, oh, she's such a good match for him. And mm-hmm. they they have so many things in common. And they, yeah, they're they're basically a powerful couple. <laughs> yeah, because my that. parents, my parents got a lot of shit apparently for being different religions. My mom is Christian, father was Muslim. But, I say was because he's he passed away. Um, but yeah, both. As far as I know, my mom's side of the family, like the older generation, was very concerned, and then some members of my father's side was not too thrilled. So, uh, unfortunately, that lens. I know, like our side of the family and my uncles worked for like uh, social circus. Probably just gave no fucks about it. But mm-hmm. I know my aunts, my at least my aunts' work circles may have given fucks because they are. It was basically very heavily Muslim and conservative Muslim. But because my uncle is so cool, I I think they may have given him a pass. Like mm-hmm. after a while. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. They are an amazing couple. I, I like both of them a lot. Unfortunately, yeah. I don't think they would like to be named on this. So. No, we yeah. won't. Name, of course we won't name them. I mean, <laughs> Unless you're listening and you want to get on here, auntie and uncle. Yeah. <laughs> you know who we're talking about. If you're listening to this, you know we're talking about you. Hit us up if you want to be on here. <laughs> what Goes if down do? in the DM. <laughs> what if, so our moms don't know yet about this podcast. I don't know if we'll ever tell them. <laughs> I have not told anyone in my family, mostly because I suspect no one can keep a secret. The gossip starts. <laughs> if I think, I could think yeah. if I told the wrong person or even the right person, they would just very quickly, I would be getting like DMs from <laughs> Lebanon from family members I've never met wanting to be on the show or something. Yeah. That'd be so cool. <laughs> yeah. I haven't, I, I really want to tell my, I want to tell my sister, but I know she would be really concerned for our safety if I told her. So that's the only reason I haven't. My sister, I can definitely trust. I would just be worried that she would be concerned for our safety and yeah and my mom would probably be either so proud as her worries she would talk to my aunt yeah and... it's like a fucked up game of like <laughs> like telephone. chai spice saffron telephone <laughs> my aunt is this aunt that i'm thinking about unfortunately cannot keep a secret to save her life mm-hmm. like yeah the world will know yeah She'll my mom just... my mom always told me family is a package deal and coming from a woman born and raised in india is a not you know eight other siblings I was like yep because I've got a few people three or four people in my family who I absolutely love but it's like you can't really go to India and hang with them because everyone else will be like oh you don't want to spend time with me and you didn't see me and, da, 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 and then make you out to be a bad person take everything personal because again going back to that communal yeah. culture type thing and if you want to like give them all equal time you have to get them all together in one place at one time with all the logistics yeah. that are involved exactly with that. And then you, like, walk into a cafe that's, like, ill-prepared for, like, 15 people. Yeah. 
Exactly. I mean, I grew up going on these um, family vacations. We would go like every four or five years. And I'd be like, I'm happy to see like 2.3 people um, that are coming. But like, <laughs> I would just shoot myself because it was just like a circus, you know? And people who would see us, like 30 of us walking down the street, I'd be like, I need a <laughs> trash bag to cover my head with because just like talking, like Indians talking is just like screaming. I guess you could kind of tell right now because I'm a little bit loud. We, but <laughs> no, we understand. Yeah. We get it. A lot of Arabs are like that too. Arabs speaking Arabic in a yes, group setting. Arabic especially. Caps lock is always on. Yeah. They sound like they're arguing when in fact they're talking about just yeah. normal things, I guess. I know. Like I was with my cousin and she was on the phone with her mom and she was just screaming like mama blah 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 and I was I thought oh my god and she hung up the phone and I was like are you okay and yeah oh I was just asking her where we're gonna go for dinner and I was what the hell like this it sounded like you two regular were about to like, start stop talking to each other regular phone convos are automatically on speakerphone you never need to use speakerphone with family <laughs> or no the best is when my mom's on the phone with relatives from India and it's like you don't need to shout you're not shouting to India you have your phone they can hear you <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh it's so God. funny. Oh, sweet baby Ganesh. <laughs> God, I love it. Yeah. Um, Extended so family. Should we talk about some queer stuff? Or we, I, no, no, no. Um, family, yeah. So you oh. work in the beauty, I want to get the beauty industry and brown people. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. We were yeah, talk, yeah. chatting so, about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, so you work in the beauty industry or you at least worked. Yeah, well, right now it's um, like writing about it. Like I was, I'm gonna re relaunch my blog soon, and mm -hmm. I do um, contribute to like um, skincare and makeup. Like I do beauty reviews and write up stuff like that. You want to um, plug so some websites real quick? I'll plug my own because that's what yep, I write do on. It. Do but it. it's um, so basically my Instagram handle is the Yatra Project. T H E Y A T R A Project, and it's all one thing. And it's the same for my website, which I'll be launching soon. Mm -hmm. But um, Yatra in Sanskrit actually means like a journey or a pilgrimage, and I feel mm -hmm. like that's all of life, obviously for all of us. And it's it, oh, yeah. um, <laughs> just for the, just for the people who are like trying to transcribe this furiously. All the links will be posted on thequeerarabs.com along with this podcast. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. So don't worry about memorizing it all right now. So. Yeah. Yeah. So it is kind of like I was saying that intersection of my yeah. culture that I tied in with it. And um, like you were at, what were you going to ask about? Um, uh, like, <laughs> chatting okay. About so yeah. like, and at least in America and the West, like beauty products are definitely marketed to the, you know, to white people. Yeah. And I'm not talking like, and I'm not saying that it's, you know, purely 100% white people, but you know. Mm. Those advertisements, That's the default. That's those advertisements like. and those advertising models for a lot of makeup are pretty pale. Yeah, mm -hmm. and exactly. I'm not sure how good like I would look in like a lot of the colors that would be complementary to their skin palette. So. Yeah, and and you and I, Ellie, we're pretty light. Yeah, but we're still we would still be considered well, like too dark for a lot of the shades. Yeah, one thing. Add. What's interesting. It, I'll touch on makeup and then I'll touch on skincare. So one thing, for example, that's really uh, brands, major or even smaller brands don't get is that if you're Middle Eastern, Asian, South Asian or whatever, there are many tones and undertones within your skin. And then let's, and then you've got that as, you know, something. And then you've got the micro of that. Well, in the seasons, we might be different tones, you know? Yeah. Um, so, you know, you might have somebody who's got 
olive skins, like neutral olive or neutral pink, a little bit of pink or, you know, mm -hmm. undertones are yellow, blue, this and that. And that's what brands don't get, uh, much like what's been going on. Olive yellow? <laughs> yeah, I, th I think I'm olive yellow. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> much like um, what's been going on with, um, you know, the black community saying we need more colors that, you know, traditionally with makeup too, that the colors that they do have, they aren't really rich. They're either orange or they're gray toned. They're not really like, you know, people don't get that you could have someone like Lupita Nyong'o and she can have a warmer, bluer, um, redder or olive undertone. And that's exactly what it is. And if you look at someone like Rihanna, who's came out recently, I don't know if you heard of Fenty Beauty. Um, she came out with, I don't even know, something like almost 60 foundation shades um, and really is forcing the industry to step it up for anyone who's the lightest of the light paper, like mm -hmm. the color of paper, mm -hmm. to the deepest, richest of the rich, like someone like Lupita Nyong'o or something. So that's what I find really interesting and I think it's really great that someone that big does that and it really makes all the other brands sort of want to level up because really if you're not going to make it, I'll get it from her. You yeah. know, and that's what it is. <laughs> and they fought, and they just pretty much instantly lose anyone of color. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Suddenly, oh look, I don't have to like sort through like all these half shades and or blend. buy two. And it's like you should compensate me if I have to buy two because you know, you know what I mean. It's like I know so many girls, Indian, Middle Eastern, Asian, and they have to mix two foundation colors because they don't have the undertone. Yeah. Yes. Alia. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. You mix yours? I mean, I haven't really explored that that much. Um, yeah. But I've heard that so many times where people have to buy two shades. Yeah. That's double the price. Unfortunately, like, when I'm, and it's even worse when you go to, like, some of the makeup stores and all the counter women are white. Mm -hmm. So they, like, they spend, like, an hour trying to get it right. And I'm just like, <laughs> please stop. Oh, yeah. Please. Yeah. I mean, there's like all these like, makeup memes out there of like when you go to Sephora and try to get your foundation color match and it's like, it just looks like a thing of like a stripe of white on their face. It's like, we are not going to ever fucking get anywhere with this. Like, it's just, it's like, oh God. I mean. I'm glad it's getting better. Yeah. Save, save us, Rihanna. Yeah. Because of course. Thank you, Rihanna. Yeah. Of course the products that we buy and things like that are just obviously reflected of what's going on in social culture and culture in general and yep you know there's so many skin tones like the, it, there's room for everyone to be included you know and then you start getting into shelf space at a retailer like sephora where brands do have to pay if they want to pay they pour, pay more money to be in the front right when you walk in in certain sections and they say hey well if more black people or brown people aren't really going to buy these colors then we're just going to like we might have you know 70 shades but we're just going to cut it and because we only have our budget for how much every room can fit mm -hmm. into, you know, the slot that we've bought. And that's another thing, too, because people, you, you need to see the products in person. It's just like so many different factors, but it is profoundly annoying. And then I'd say with skincare, touching on that, it's really interesting. Um, and it kind of the skincare stuff really does remind me of food. Um, we were chatting earlier about, you know, like the matcha craze and like turmeric lattes. And I'm like, um, and I was saying, you know, the other day, dear every basic white bitch who was like, gross, what are you drinking? When my mom would make me turmeric, aka holy milk when I was younger. Um, fuck you, because now you're like sh doing overhead flat lays of your turmeric latte on Instagram and like, 
You know what I mean? It's yeah. just, it's interesting how those are people, reflected. People yeah. used to give you shit. Yeah. Like, oh, what's this that? and what's that? And now mm-hmm. everyone's like, now tur- it's like, so like cool. I'm going to go for brunch and get a $17 turmeric latte, <laughs> you know, with like camel milk in it and shit or whatever <laughs> right? the fuck. Is, whatever is like the trendy <laughs> non-dairy milk of the moment. That's like how I felt yeah. about the harem pants. Quote, yeah. Quote. I'm like, oh my God, there's so many things and wrong with this. It's this like, double-edged sword yeah. catch 22 because it's like on one hand, there is a shred of that that's comp that like they're almost complimenting in a way of like we love the culture so much that we're gonna literally mm-hmm. like we were talking about the other day appre- you said appreciation versus appropriation yes that's what you said it's, it's hard for people to find that line sometimes like you know, it's a very fine not line. to I cross it, the line i would call it appreciation versus exploitation because mm, appropriation is kind of neutral yeah 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 because there is exploitation for sure um yeah um the whole israeli thing in the hummus mm-hmm. exploitation Uh, you know people really really loving uh hummus but also respecting its roots appreciation yeah exactly and i was thinking of the food stuff because you know now you've got a lot of brands saying that the buzzworthy terms or whatever like beauty steeped in ayurveda and it's like this is nothing new ayurveda has been around for five thousand years and it will continue to go on you know like turmeric masks and Mm -hmm. turmeric balms and um, you know, if you look at something like the amla fruit, which is, um, again, been around thousands of years, it's called Indian gooseberry, which has 20 times the concentration of vitamin C as oranges. Indian women have been using this for forever. Now you're starting to see it in a lot of things here. And again, um, I mean, a lot of the Ayurvedic skincare brands owned here are owned by Indians as well. And But I do find it interesting that you know, there are some people who appreciate the Indian culture so much that they are, are non-Indian and they start their own Ayurvedic lines. I think it's the way that they do it and how they go about it. Um, I was just mm-hmm. at, before I came to Houston, um, on the 9th, I was at, uh, May 9th, I was at the Indie Beauty Expo in Dallas. And um, there was a lady there who um, started like an Ayurvedic skincare line. Um, she had visited India, done some volunteer work there, and she actually gives, I think it was like 10% of the proceeds to um, kids in orphanages in Kerala and you can really see the in, uh, intention of the person who started the line whether it's just to capitalize on the trendiness of it and like you said the exploitation mm-hmm. or whether they really do want to help and they've had experience that they've been there and they've you know seen how people live there yeah. or how they can help and like so. yeah respect the roots respect yeah. where it came from mm-hmm. um, we had Ellie and I had this really amazing conversation a few days ago with a bunch of friends about this very topic the appropriation yeah um, so appropriation slash exploitation slash appreciation and like what's what yeah Yeah. and appropriation and the whole social justice um sort of headspace at this point is so hot it's like the gotcha it's like Mm -hmm. oh that's appropriation to be wearing that thing i'm like no it's like and there's like saying it like it's an inherently a bad thing it's right because it can be a good thing like if you like we're saying, if you respect uh, where something's from or, you know, the background of it, it all it all depends on intention. Yeah. And and, yeah. and this is why I'm always starting. I'm starting to phrase things more as appreciation versus exploitation, because, you know, trying to yeah. say like that's that's a good point. Like if you have, say, like the Native American um, makeup lines or whatever, or like stuff for Thanksgiving that are native inspired. Mm-hmm. Uh, Halloween costumes. Yeah, basically Halloween <laughs> oh. costumes, which, you know, show no respect and, you know, benefit none of the people who came from that background. 
exploitation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. However, if, you know, say some tribe out there wanted to, you know, try their hand in the market and market some of the stuff they've been using traditionally for a thousand years and they partner with, I don't know, anyone for distribution, appreciation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I get why people are always like so hot on the, I've forgotten the word. What was it again? What, appropriation. appropriation. <laughs> You're already trying to rid your vocabulary. I'm trying, <laughs> you know, I'm, you know, because I am this, you know, raging leftist of all sorts. I'm trying to get people mm -hmm. to be better than that, better than just trying to make gotcha points and shit like that. I'm like trying to say, hey, yeah, appropriation is often pro problematic. Looking at you, Disney, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. But it can also be done right. Yeah, that's true. There's definitely a balance. Incoming lawyer message from Disney, I suppose. <laughs> right. Yeah, because, you know, Disney corporate people are definitely listening to this podcast of all things. I mean, you're going to blow up, so eventually they're going <laughs> to find this. Obviously, yeah. yeah. We're going to be so famous, it'll reach them. <laughs> oh, and Rihanna obviously will hear this eventually. Yes. Hi, Rihanna. <laughs> hey, Riri. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now that we've covered all this wonderful, yeah. you know, social, political, yeah. business, exploitation, capitalist bullshit. Uh, <laughs> all right, so I know something about careers in India. However, you've got you've got the download. Yeah. So, so I yes. Me. So um, the the transgender community in India, the writings of the transgender community has actually been an ancient text for about four thousand years. And one of the major Indian gods, his name's Lord Shiva, or deities, you, you would call it. Um, there are There is a story of him merging with his wife, uh, Parvati, um, in these ancient writings that would, he basically merged and created himself into an androgynous god. Uh, the name is actually escaping me, but we can write it, um, write it up when the episode goes up. Yeah. And um, this, uh, this god or this deity is, is sort of like uh, the deity of the trans community within India. That they that's sort of like I guess you could say patron saint you know that they look up to um, I would even go as far as to say the trans community in India might even be more accepted and more I guess not messed with or left alone even more than the gay community in India um, people consider a lot of people consider them to be auspicious um, when you go to India and you're driving around a lot of um, the trans people, they knock on people's windows and things um, at stoplights, you know, to give out blessings to people. Um, they'll crash weddings or if they're invited to weddings or if they find out about it, they want to go and they want to dance there. People pay them. If a baby is being born, they go because, again, they're considered auspicious, um, an auspicious community. Um, so I, I've always found that really fascinating because my mom used to talk to me about that and and how it it. You know, you're going to have your people that are trying to be violent and things like that um, in any place. And there are, just as there are with people in, um, you know, the gay community in India as well. But um, I think it's gotten a lot better. Um, and there's um, a prince, um, Prince Manvendra Singh. Um, he uh, was a, a prince of um, Gujarat um, in the western part of India. And in, I believe it was in 2006, he came out to his family. Um, just to give you a little pre-story on this, very brief, um, he uh, basically, he kind of, he said he always, you know, he knew he was gay for a very long time and he wasn't actually really forced or pushed that much to 
have an arranged marriage but at the time he just felt like oh I'm of marriageable age and I want to seem quote-unquote more normal and he en did end up marrying a woman and um, you know they never had sex the marriage was never I guess you'd say consummated is what they would say there the marriage was never con uh, consummated mm -hmm. and you know after I think a couple years even went by and um, she started being like what's wrong you don't like me or I feel like there's something wrong with me or whatever and he ended up confiding in his wife before he told his parents that I'm gay and I'm attracted to men and you know what she told him she said I'm gonna file for divorce and um, you know I want to find somebody you know for myself and she told him one thing you know before they got divorced that please don't do this to anyone else you know to me because this was in, in 1991 I believe and um, at that time, yeah. if a woman was married and she got divorced, they think, oh, she's not a virgin and all that other bullshit. And, you know, thankfully in her case, it wasn't difficult for her to go on and get married again and have kids and, you know, have the life that she wanted. Um, but he, he waited as well. He waited a few years after she got married and had kids to come out because he didn't want anything to, like, go on with her or anyone to mess with her, really. And yeah. he basically had... Um, went to the ER. He had a, like a psychological breakdown before he told his parents. Um, his parents tried to quote unquote cure him of being gay um, religiously and, you know, saying to the doctors that we'll pay any of amount of money to get any surgeries that he needs or if there's anything quote unquote wrong with his brain, all this sort of mm. crazy stuff. Um, his mother actually took an um, ad out in the paper publicly disowning and disinheriting, disinheriting um, her son and all these wow. horrible things. Um, and what the interesting thing that he was quoted on saying, at, you know, at the time in 2006 was he said that from the moment I was born, I was raised by servants. So it didn't hurt me that my parents disowned me. You know, that's that's even another layer of like something so heartbreaking that he literally felt wow. like he almost didn't even know his parents. But he had this whole, so much anxiety and so much pain wrapped up and coming out to them, even though he felt like you know, I'm not really close with them, but he still wanted to feel that acceptance. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, after some years went by, his parents and things did end up, his family did end up talking to him and he does try to be active now. And, and he spoke on Oprah. He was invited on lots of different shows to be able to speak in different magazines. And he, people in India, they have a saying, they say, well, being gay is a Western thing. Like, they think it's just a thing. They think almost like talking about it as if it's a trend. Mm -hmm. And he has spoken a lot about it's not. It's the fact that people are so, can still be, of course, there are people that are accepting of it mm -hmm. in India, but that people a lot are um, not as accepting and it causes the schism of people being so scared to come mm -hmm. out. Yep. And one thing that they're fighting for right now is, you know, as we know, Middle Eastern, Asian, Indian cultures are the foundation of all of that is family values and family and the community and things like that. And of course that, you know, gay uh, people being born and raised in India, they have that mentality also that mm -hmm. they might have been with a partner, whether it be in secret or more public, if they're in a more open community, they want that recognition. They want a ceremony. They want to be able to do it at a temple or wherever they want to do it. They want that public life together. Yeah, they do. Right. Yeah, they don't want to hide it. Um, and that's something that he's really speaking out on. Um, just last year, mm -hmm. he announced that he was opening his, um, I believe, both his ancestral home and his palace um, to, you know, to have like public uh, sort of a community center. Yeah, communities. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for LGBTQ community Very there in India, and amazing. always speaking out. Um, I think it's really brave. <laughs> Someone could easily try to kill you yeah. or mess with your family or whatever. But um, 
Wow. It's just so brave to just be like, I don't give a shit at the end of the day. This is my life. I'm going to live my life for me and be who I truly am. And really, at the end of the day, like I said, it's all about inclusion. You know, like I always think about this with my younger sister who I mentioned in the beginning who has Down syndrome. Um, and, you know, thankfully, it's just like I'm super grateful that she was born and raised in the U.S. because, you know, at that time in the early 90s, they didn't have a lot of facilities to be able to help people like that. Not only that, but that the mentality of people would just be like, oh, well, she's going to be worthless or useless or not be able to, quote unquote, amount to anything or do anything. And, my, you know, they just say usually people who have special needs just stay at home. Why do you want to waste money on them going to study? Why do you want them to do this and that? And I think everything happens for a reason. And again, that kind of parallels with the, that is that it's just someone and that's who they are, yeah. you know, and it's about inclusion at the end of the day, period. Exactly. Well, I mean, so. they want to be a, a part of society as much as we do. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. Yep, exactly. That's pretty, <laughs> much, that's pretty much a universal wish. For yeah, we're all humans, you know. Included I'm, with... It's like I always say, like, cut us all open and we all bleed red. Like, yeah. so I think everyone is sort of have their, their different passions or their different angles of things that they want to speak out on. And really, the obviously, the end goal is, like, we're all humans. We all want to love and be loved and be ourselves and you know yeah that's that's the the end goal for everyone so mm. <sighs> exactly oh man all that all that western all those evil western influences just getting up and <laughs> yeah. everywhere four thousand years ago the western influence right there <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there you go <laughs> i love being part of this evil western influence. yes i yes. know <laughs> i don't know maybe the Illuminati will start paying us <laughs> oh, gosh. oh gosh i could go and, go down an illuminati rabbit hole for like yes. hours. oh my god no i'm gonna get creeped out if we go down that hole <laughs> oh, you won't be able to sleep tonight if we start right. talking about that it's like yeah. 9 p.m we're not not doing this <laughs> <laughs> yeah for real but you know if like a million dollars did show up in a bank account illuminati would be very happy yeah oh my god. like i'm not i'm not gonna give it back <laughs> like, right I mean, and how would we even find who to give it back to? Exactly. So I well, guess they, that's well, just... They, well, if they're the Illuminati, if they want it back, they'll, to give it, they'll take it back. That's true. We if won't we, have to do anything. Yeah. Very convenient conspiracy. <laughs> All right. <laughs> on that note, um, on that note, so you can find us at thequeerarabs at gmail.com. I mean, email us at that, thequeerarabs at gmail.com. You can go to our website, thequeerarabs.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Queer Arabs. And then, Aditi, can you uh, repeat um, for Yeah, people? I'll repeat, and then it'll also be um, up on the site, right? So yes. it's The Yatra Project. That's T-H-E-Y-A-T-R-A project, P-R-O-J-E-C-T dot com. And then that that's the same handle that I have on Instagram. Please uh, don't be shy. Send me a DM. I love to connect with mm-hmm. all humans from everywhere. Fellow I forget. Do you, have, do you have any other social media? Like yeah. Twitter? So my Twitter and my Facebook okay. are both exactly the same. Um, the Yatra Project. So just be like backslash the Yatra Project. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Also, Thanks. I want to give a quick shout out to uh, Stonewall Oman. Oh, yeah. Stonewall Oman. It's so cool to get, you know, get connected with you. Um, we got this great shout out by them on Twitter in Arabic, which made me really excited. So thank Take you. Take pink. It er, did. Ish. I mean, we love shout outs in any language, but that was our first one in Arabic. And that was really exciting for us. That we know. 
Mm-hmm. That we know of. Yeah. yeah. Have a good have a good day slash night slash whatever you're listening on. Now, bye. 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 <laughs>